You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The gist is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code GIST at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. And by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, December 4th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So on the show today, I will be spieling about guns. We're going to talk about abortion with Will Salatem. So, you know, a lot of fun, light topics. In fact, let's lead off the thing with a one question, one question only, also about guns and the chance that we get any reform in this country. I don't want to step on the answer. There's really no chance, but I actually asked someone who knows. He's history professor at Princeton, Julian Zelizer. Thanks for having me. After this latest shooting or latest shootings, might Congress do anything to enact any sort of gun legislation? Might Obama, after his defeat, after Sandy Hook, try to pursue that legislation even if he knows it can't succeed? What do you think the prospects are? Very uh, slim. You know, we have now gone through so many cycles where there is a major shooting that occurs. The president does put his a political capital into this. He has spoken as bluntly about this issue as anything I've heard him uh, talk about, including why it never happens and the power of the NRA. Uh, but those interest groups are still aligned to oppose gun control. The House Republicans are still uh, dominated by a faction that will not go along with this. And there's many Democrats who uh, privately uh, are not willing to take on the NRA. So the legislative landscape looks exactly the same. And I, I'm just very doubtful anything serious will come of it. Beyond that, if you just look at the public polling on gun control, this is my breaking the one question rule, but it's a follow up. I'm allowed. It's my show. If you just look at the public polling, is that the sort of issue that normally does get passed? The public is so passionate or so overwhelmingly on one side? Or are we actually so split as a nation, it's not surprising that it wouldn't get passed? You know, I think some people wish that when there's overwhelming public uh, support for something, it goes through Congress, but that's not how it works. And there's many issues, uh, climate change, gun control, immigration reform, where the public uh, nationally is in favor of it. But the public in the districts of many members of Congress uh, are not in favor of it. And often the minority power uh, can win out on Capitol Hill. What's the biggest issue where that's the most glaring, would you say? Uh, I think gun control. I think gun control has become that issue at this point, uh, along with immigration. It's pretty strong, the support to do something about immigration uh, yeah. and the millions who are here. But it's going. It's, it's gone nowhere. 
I think even more with gun control because something about immigration in the details, it could trip you up. But even there are certain things with gun control that overwhelmingly people would support and might not be a total fix. No one's saying anything they're going to pass is going to stop all deaths or even the majority of them. But yeah, it seems even less complex. I'm not talking legislatively, but like what would the rules be? You could put forward a longer waiting period, a minimum age to buy handguns, some raft of proposals that OMA background checks that everyone agrees with. But for the political process getting in the way. Yeah, look, when these shootings take place, I think it's very plausible and understandable for a lot of Americans that it would be better if access to these guns was harder uh, to obtain. And so I think that's why there's a lot of agreement. There's also a sense of crisis with this issue in a way that, uh, you know, I I don't think immigration generates, even though it is uh, a crisis. Uh, This is something they're seeing. They're seeing people killed. They're seeing shootings over and over combined with national security issues. Um, But that public still can't overcome uh, the power of this very uh, entrenched interest. Julian E. Zelizer is professor of history and public affairs at Princeton. He studies elections, the presidents, and Congress. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up in the spiel, I've been talking about guns all week. People have contradicted me. People have argued with me. People have offered counterfacts. I will address all the arguments against gun control. But first, yeah, let's lighten things up. How about some abortion talk? And now a word from our sponsor, but I want to tell you about an upcoming episode because it got me thinking about our sponsor. Soon on this show, we're going to have a guy who was hired by the CIA to vet psychics. He's really pro-psychic, and he told me to go to a number of web pages that have all the examples. Well, when you do, they like there's this weird music in the background, and there's also and the fonts are just off, and the background is gray, and there are weird boxes on the screen, you know, sort of like um, like it's presented in columns. It's just like something that was hosted by GeoCities in 1999. And you could be sitting on the best trove of information. You could be just so willing to communicate some life-altering information. But if it's presented in a way that says, I haven't updated the website since, you know, the waning days of the Clinton administration, there could be trouble. Which is a shame. I don't want to step on the results of the interview. But... Flying across the country mentally and peeking into someone's folders might be a thing. It just might. But what is a thing for sure is Squarespace. Sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. You don't have to know anything about coding because the tools that they give you are intuitive and they're really easy to use. Also, as part of a special offer, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So start a free trial today. Go to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. The rhetoric around abortion in this country reflects, well, it pretty much reflects what our society thinks, which is it remains one of the most fraught issues. While polls have changed a little bit, they haven't changed a lot. And why would they? This is not an issue of taxes. This is not an issue of tariffs. This is not an issue where I could argue 2% and you could say 4 and then we agree on 3 On the one side, we have people who I believe honestly think that we're talking about a version of infanticide. It's very equivalent to a fantasy. This is what I do when I try to 
project myself into the mind of those arguing the pro-life side, they're basically talking about abortion as someone like me would talk about infanticide. And yet on the other side, we're talking about people who think of this pretty much like slavery. You're telling me what to do with my body. That becomes a slavery argument. Why wouldn't it be fraught? So, so often, though, we don't have complex, in-depth, and really honest discussions about this. I wanted to bring on Will Salatan. He's been writing about the pro-life, pro-choice, abortion issues for years and years and years. I think he's a really honest broker and an insightful guy. Hello, Will. Hey, Mike. So in the last week or so since the uh, shootings at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Colorado, uh, I I suppose the big thing that people have been arguing about is whether rhetoric around those uh, Planned Parenthood undercover videos could in any way have prompted the shooter, should be blamed. What do you think, before we even get to, uh, you know, the, the facts about if this shooter was influenced by those videos, what about that general notion that, you know, rhetorical complaints in the culture can lead to, you know, specific acts of violence like we saw? Well, they certainly can. I mean, incitement is a common problem around the world. If you go over to um, Israel, for instance, there's constant talk about incitement. And basically, it's anything that demonizes Israel, which then in the eyes of the Israeli you know, police and the Israeli government leads to terror attacks. So over here, you know, abortion is one of our versions of it. Um, the weird thing to me about the the this coming up in the context of the Planned Parenthood stuff is, honestly, the rhetoric about the Planned Parenthood videos has not been outstandingly incendiary compared to previous rhetoric. I mean, just this, the whole abortion debate going way back, there's always been talk about they're killing babies, they have to be stopped. And there have, you know, been terrorism incidents based on that. So the Planned Parenthood rhetoric around these videos itself, not outstanding, not, nothing particularly awful about it. And as far as I could tell, the reason that people use the charge baby killing is because they really think it's baby killing. That is an honestly held belief, not just a piece of rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, the real, I mean, I think you're exactly right in sort of your framing of the, the pro-life point of view. You know, when you think about infanticide, the question becomes in your mind, well, not why somebody attacks a, a clinic or a doctor, but why they don't do it all the time, right? If you actually believed that this is the murder of children that the government is tolerating is going on every day, yeah, I mean, most of us would be out there taking some kind of action, some kind of lethal action if necessary. So the amazing thing to me is the self-restraint of the pro-lifers, or I'll raise one other possibility, they don't really believe what they're saying. And so what would be the evidence of that? Well, I mean, take, for example, I mean, I was watching an interview with Mike Huckabee, uh, presidential candidate, longtime pro-lifer. You know, he was asked why, you know, what should happen to the woman who procures the abortion? And the answer is nothing. No, we don't want to do anything to the woman. Name for me, Mike, another situation in which someone hires someone to kill a human being and the response from the you know, pro-life side is, oh, nothing should happen to you. But that's exactly what they say about abortion. That's a good point. So it would seem inconsistent. If you really think it's baby killing, that's inconsistent. And another inconsistency would be that so many politicians say, I believe there should be an exception for rape and incest. No, if you really thought it was infanticide, how could you say that? Yeah, there is no name for me a situation in which a child gets murdered and the defense is, yeah, I know this, I killed the six-year-old, but he was the product of a rape. 
then, to be fair, or perhaps equally unfair, let's talk about the other side and Bill Clinton famously having the construction safe, legal, and rare. If you think it is a woman's right to choose, and this entire debate is about choice, why would rare be important? Rare, I could understand why it's a sop to the other side, but why would rare be any more important than the rarity of any medical procedure that gets you out of there and is, and is a bit unpleasant, but is not even going to affect your week? Yeah, I think actually rare is a great way of distinguishing between two kinds of pro-choice people. I mean, actually, there are many different kinds. I read a whole book about how there are like 10 different kinds, but let's just stick with two for now. One kind is people who believe that having an abortion is just like having any piece of tissue, having a tumor removed, okay, has no moral significance at all, in which case your point comes exactly into play. You know, why would you, you know, other than sort of, you know, not wanting tumors, but if what's it treated like a cosmetic procedure, why should it be rare? As many people want to have them as just have them, okay? The other kind of pro-choice person actually believes that abortion is morally problematic. They think, you know, I really don't like abortion. It's a kind of killing. It's not murder, but it would be better if there were fewer of them. And this person might think the government going in and banning this or the government regulating it in some way is not helpful. There are other ways in which society could reduce this. I happen to be this latter kind of pro-choice person, so I have no problem with the rhetoric of rare. In fact, I think that when you say safe, legal, and rare, what you're signaling is we don't need the government to regulate this because we as people will do our best to avoid the need for abortion. Well, why do you think that? I want to interrogate what seems to be a reasonable position. Why do you have a bit of a moral qualm about abortion? Do you look at it not like it's baby killing, but it's something on this spectrum? I mean, St. Augustus, I believe, talked about different uh, in, in different trimesters, the uh, fetus having a different kind of soul. So is it a slight evil, a lesser evil? Why is it not a great thing? Well, I'm a gradualist. First of all, I believe in looking at the evidence, and the evidence is that this is a developing human being. That's a scientific fact. Now, I am not one of these people who believes that at the moment of conception, a certain kind of magic occurs, or that at six months, or at birth, a magic occurs, okay? What happens is, is human development, fetal development, is a gradual process. And therefore, part of what you're accumulating is not just the ability to do things, but moral significance. You're getting more like a one-year-old. You know, when you, when you start to get to birth, one-year, two-year, you're talking about something that all of us would agree, you can't kill this thing. This is a human being. And so, to me, gradualism is what best fits the evidence. And if you're a gradualist, then you ought to be able to say, you know, as the pregnancy progresses, then society ought to change the way that we deal with it. And if we don't believe the government ought to deal with it, then we as individuals ought to deal with it. For example, we should be really conscientious about birth control so that you don't get pregnant in a situation where you can't have a baby, because then you're going to end up having to have an abortion. So does the label pro-choice or thinking about it as a woman's right to choose do anything for you beyond plant a rhetorical flag? Is there any logical sway to that argument? Well, yeah. Choice is a big American theme. Freedom is an American theme. It's an easy theme. And that's why the pro-choice quote unquote side uses it. You know, abortion is something people don't like abortion. Even most people who believe in abortion rights don't like the concept of abortion. So 
Why talk about abortion when you can talk about freedom and choice and liberty and all those good things? And it taps into, most importantly, taps into conservative sentiments. A lot of Tea Party people, a lot of libertarian people are sympathetic to that message. And that's how you win in politics is by drawing some people over from the other side. Sure. So that's why it is working and that's why it's useful as a tactic. But is there any logic to it? Is there not as a tactic, but as an actual argument? Is there anything swaying about it? Not just as a political statement, but as an intellectual thing, you can believe in the right to something even if you wouldn't do it yourself. And abortion for a lot of people is in that category. So within the last year, we saw these undercover Planned Parenthood videos on the show. I've talked about how really misleading they are. We've seen Congress almost shut down the government over the videos. We've seen an attack on Planned Parenthood. We've seen the backlash to that attack. You think any of that has done anything to change public's opinion or the debate about abortion in this country? Well, the the anti-abortion people, the pro-life people, would like to make the... They want to use Planned Parenthood to focus on the idea of the selling of baby parts, right? They are trying to push the whole issue through Planned Parenthood into the later term abortions that people are more uncomfortable with if you look at polling data. Their problem is that Planned Parenthood primarily is a preventive organization. It is not an organization that primarily does late term abortions. Planned Parenthood not only does more, way more early term abortions than late ones, but hands out gazillions and gazillions of birth control. Okay, so now this puts the pro-life people in the very awkward position of trying to defund and demonize an organization which a lot of the time is preventing abortions, preventing the abortions by preventing the unintended pregnancy. So I think in the long term, it's a loser for them. Last question. So your book was Bearing Right, How Conservatives Won the Abortion War. Did they win, but the culture dug in? Would you still say they won? What's your assessment now 10 years after? Uh, my assessment 10 years after is how little this issue has moved, how, how hard it has been to persuade uh, people who are against abortion to change their minds or to persuade the pro-choice people. W the really interesting thing to me, Mike, is if you compare this to issues around gay rights and gay marriage, okay, that there has been a sea change and the right has been totally abandoned. People have just decided no harm, no foul. On the abortion side, that hasn't happened. So something about abortion continues to grate on a lot of folks. And I think it is that there's harm. And you can argue about what's being harmed. But there's a real difference between the gay issues, the issues of sexuality, and abortion. And sooner or later, the left is going to have to grapple not just with the politics of that, but with the morality of it. Well, you've been listening to two men talk about women's bodies. No, actually, one of <laughs> one of the two of us, Will Salatin. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry. That's just fantastic. You you have to include that. This yes. just Yeah. But one of them has excellent standing. He's Will Salatin. He's the national correspondent at Slate. Among his books are Bearing Right, How Conservatives Won the Abortion War. Thank you, Will. Hey, thanks, Mike. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, 
breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. Search for The Message on iTunes. And now the spiel, calibers, and concessions. So I think almost every day this week I talked about guns or gun control or the havoc and killing that guns hath wrought. And over the course of the week, due to the pronouncements that I've made on this show or Slate took a couple of my comments and made a posting about it and then Facebook got involved, a lot of people have answered me or countered me or tried to offer different arguments. And I've read through those arguments And I think mostly I have counters to the arguments, but I do have an overweening concession. But I think in my concession is the best argument yet. So let's start with the fact. 35,000, maybe a little fewer, maybe a little more, 35,000 or so people will be killed by guns in the United States this year. Two out of every three people killed by guns will do so by their own hand, suicides. 10,000 gun homicides, 20,000 gun suicides, add a few thousand here or there. Know that, hold on to that stat, and I'm going to come back to it. So here are some of the arguments that people put forward to me after I argued that we need some gun control. One, this was actually not put forward to me, but I follow Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review and Twitter, and he said, if gun control were a good method of preventing terrorist attack, Paris would never be hit. Well, that's one isolated case. Paris's overall homicide rate is 80% lower than the United States. So if gun control were good at preventing from killing people, wait, it is 1.4 per 100,000 in France, 5 per 100,000 in the United States. Gun control is really good if you do it well in preventing people from getting killed. But what about terrorism? And I'll concede that. It may be true that a determined terrorist will find a way, a pipe bomb, a legally obtained gun, knives, a terrorist will find a way to terrorize. Of, remember, I talked about the 30,000 plus people who are killed each year. There have been in the United States since 9-11, let's count the 14 in San Bernardino, there have been 43 people killed by Islamic terrorists in the United States and almost 50 people killed by right-wing terrorists. It's fewer than 100 people killed by terrorists, not a year since 2001 versus 10,000 killed each year by guns. So I will concede, I don't know if this is true or not, but let's say everything we do about gun control will not stop any of the 10 or so killings we've averaged a year because of terrorism. I concede that. Here's another point. The guns were bought legally in California, one of the most strict states in the union. Tell us again what laws should be passed. I get iterations of this all over. Guns, here's something from The Silence tweeting to me. Guns were purchased legally. Nothing about gun control would have stopped this. I will concede California is the best rated state by the Brady Center. They actually, compared to the other 49 states, have strict gun control laws. 
But that's compared to the other 49 states of the United States. We're never going to get to the state of one of the countries of Europe, but good gun control can absolutely prevent a tragedy like this. Could gun control that we realistically get in the United States prevent this? I'm not sure. I'm going to say probably not. But the point is, it could prevent something. And when people ask, what laws are you proposing? Well, the laws that Julian Zelizer was talking about, Congress never passing. The Senate actually introduced a bill today that went nowhere. Among those laws, if you're on the terrorist watch list, you can't get a gun. Background checks for people who sell privately. Background checks for gun shows. Background checks for the internet. Again, would any of those have stopped this terrorist attack? I will concede Maybe they wouldn't have. I'll concede that they wouldn't have. But here's an analogy. Not every seatbelt would stop someone from dying in a car. There are some accidents that not any bit of crumple zone technology, seatbelts, airbags, very efficient EMS and EMT responses. You could bring all that to bear and there are some auto crashes that are just so bad that nothing would have helped. But you know what? We did all that we could and are continuing to do all that we can in the name of auto safety. Does that mean that no one dies in car crashes? Nope. The last year, 2013, 32,000 Americans died in auto crashes, and that's horrible. But you want to know something? In 1972, 52,000 people died in auto crashes, which is amazing. 20,000 fewer people as the population has increased by more than 100 million. The auto fatality rate has gone down from about 25 per 100,000 to 10 per hundred thousand. Why don't we do this with guns? I don't know, because no one clings to their cars like they cling to their guns, I guess President Obama would say. But the point here is that arguing that any particular shooting wouldn't be prevented by any law doesn't mean that every shooting wouldn't be prevented by any law. Someone emailed me, you know, none of the gun laws would have prevented Dylan Roof from killing those people in South Carolina. Actually, it's untrue. There is a law, the private sale ownership background check law that 10 states have, that South Carolina doesn't, that says if someone is a felon or being prosecuted for a felony, you can't even sell them or give them a gun privately. Dylan Roof's dad gave him a gun that wouldn't be allowed in 10 other states. Would it have been caught? I don't know, but it would have lessened the chances of that one tragedy happening. But anyway, my overall point, you could point to any one tragedy and argue if any one gun control law would have helped it, just as you could point to any car crash and argue if a particular crumple zone would have definitely helped solve it. But overall, if you pass a society-wide raft of laws, some of those tragedies will diminish. KU Nui tweeted me, hey, why is Wyoming 60% armed while simultaneously having a lower murder rate than European countries? Well, I think it has something to do with people per square mile, but I checked the facts, and it turns out that Wyoming, with a homicide rate of 1.9, is higher than 31 of 43 European countries. And one of the countries it's not higher than is Ukraine. I think sparsely populated areas are less likely to be murderous, Alaska being the exception. But even countries in Europe with higher murder rates than Wyoming, like Norway, has a murder rate of 2.2. That's less than half the United States murder rate.
It is so funny to me that so many people say, look, gun control laws aren't going to do anything. I live in New York City. It has the strictest gun control laws. Does it work? Yeah, it works spectacularly. Do you know New York State? I'm not even talking about the city. I'm talking about upstate counties like Ulster, where the mayor said everyone here should be armed. New York State has either the lowest or second lowest rate of murder by gun. And that's because New York City is such an exemplar in terms of murder rate by guns. Well, what about Chicago? Fine. What if you pass great gun laws, restrictive gun laws in two cities? They don't work in one due to a variety of factors, mostly reliant on the fact that Chicago is easy to access from other places with terrible gun laws. Fine. But what if you have two cities? They, They both pass very restrictive gun laws, and one city it doesn't work in, and the other city it does. What reasonable part? Forget gun. Take gun away from the conversation. Any kind of thing that we don't want to have. You pass a law to limit the thing. It works in one city. It doesn't work in another. Do you say, let's not pass that kind of law? It is working in one of the cities. It's working in the city I live. Happens to be the bigger city. Gun laws work. They work in America's biggest city. They work dramatically in America's biggest city. And if America's biggest city is next to other localities which have decent gun laws, there's a multiplier effect. Now, let me come back to the statistic. 20,000 people by their own hand, more than 10,000 people by someone else killed by a gun. And that is so horrible. And there's nothing good about that except this. The number is so high. Do you realize that the number is so high, so astronomically high? We live in a large country, but the murder rate is so high that even if these gun laws are half ineffective, are 80% ineffective, are 90% ineffective, it still means thousands of lives saved. We're in such a bad position that doing almost anything will save thousands of lives, and yet we still consciously choose to do nothing, and who cares about those thousands and the many thousands more to come. That's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, just producer, is pro-choice when it comes to seltzer flavors. She believes in vanilla and maybe even vanilla pear, the vanilla pear pairing. Craziness, right? Just executive producer Andy Bowers is pro-life when it comes to board games. I personally am not. The spinner makes no sense to me. I say you got to go dice. The dude's pro-life. The gist, we are pro-life when it comes to cereal. Some prefer cinnamon, some prefer original. I say, is original really a flavor? And if it is, how does original bazooka taste so much different from original life cereal? I'll let you sit with that. Um, Peru, da Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening.